Talk show podcast. I'm Adam Miscavige, and tonight I'm here with uh, my lovely co-host Don Stroud. Hello, and our excellent guest, uh, Mr. Raphael Chandler. How you doing, Raphael? Buenas noches. <laughs> uh, tonight we have a special request from a reader, um, and, and I'm just going to remind you all what uh, what Pete Schwab sent in as a topic request. He said. I was just listening to the episode about running con games, and I'm finding it very informative. If there's an opportunity, could you guys do a show covering how you approach developing setting material for campaign settings from scratch? What are the essential ingredients for getting started? How much do you feel like you need to have on hand before you begin? Also, what are considerations in terms of rule sets, and how much do you feel you need to tailor aspects beforehand based on player temperament slash style? Thanks. I'm really enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Um, and that was from our awesome reader, or listener, Mr. Pete Schwab. And so, there you have it. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next little bit. And there's an awful lot in there. There's, um, campaign building, world building, campaign, like, you know, like, sufficiency. What do you need to have to run a campaign? Um, Raphael, where would you start a conversation like that? Oddly enough... I would probably look at one of my own books. It's called Pandemonio. came out a couple years ago. I originally published it in 2002, but under a different name. Um, it was originally called Dread, the first book of Pandemonium, and then I yeah. released a new edition uh, a few years ago, and then a third edition. And one of the things that I did in the third edition was I kind of detailed my approach to campaign building. And the funny thing is I actually don't have a set approach. I take a different approach every time I play because I've been playing with the same group of people for over a decade now. And we all know each other very well. We have a shorthand that works particularly well. But as a rule, I tend to believe, as did Zool, that they ought to be the architects of their own demise, the engineers of their own destruction. And so I tend to build a campaign setting around the answers that they provide to the questions that I ask. I ask them, where are we? Oh, you know what? We are in the the desert. We're in the the wastelands of Nefren Ka. And I say, okay, I've already got an idea of where we're heading with this. All right, so who's who's? what's the power structure like? Well, there's this sphinx that runs this city. Um, Akabos, he's this uh, hideous, he, he needs uh, what is, no, it's a she, she needs sacrifices. No, this is the other guy, but... Well, yeah, but not the way you'd think. And then he provides his idea. And we brainstorm this session out. And sometimes when it gets so complicated that it needs to be stripped down a little bit, I assign points. All right, everybody's got ten points. If you do something that fucks over another player, you get a point. And, <laughs> you know, so if you're running low, you can be like, oh, and everybody hates mages. Magic users are against the law. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get a point which you can later use and spend to buy enemies, to buy high-level NPCs that'll fuck with you, to buy weird cults to 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 create in other words the problems you're going to deal with later and the funny thing is how quickly they forget because of course since we're all middle-aged dudes with wives and careers sometimes it is months before we get back to the gaming table and i'm like oh but you you remember what happens when you do that right oh 
fuck. That was my idea, wasn't it? Yes, I say. It was your idea. This was your idea. So here, now reap the whirlwind. And that's a lot of fun, letting the players, to an extent, determine just how screwed up the world is going to be. But also it helps you as a DM or referee or keeper or whatever the hell to zero in on what it is that they actually want. Because there is a great deal of scope to damn near any game, unless you're playing a story game. A lot of story games have a very rigid approach to narrative, right? There's a formulaic yeah. approach that the inevitable uh, the inevitable arc of the narrative has already been ascribed, described by the text itself. The text, the rules, they, they've already communicated to the players how this game is going to end. We know what kind of endings we're looking at. But with a more open-ended game like Lamentations of the Flame Princess, any OSR title, uh, Phase Rip, right? Marvel, Marvel Classic, it doesn't matter... Yeah really what you you think when you're going in as a player or as a dungeon master because the other four or five people at the table are going to put their own stink on it and complicate your life so there's really no way to know if we all say yeah we're playing dnd is that forgotten realms is that dark sun is that spell jammer is that dungeon crawl right. is that wilderness is that city adventure it could be anything so sitting down with the players and having them not vote but brainstorm together and organically create the setting is for me the most important thing i bring nothing to the table Literally a blank piece of paper. I'm seat of the pants GM all the way. All right. Yeah, I can. I, I got a lot of respect for that. I mean, obviously, I do a lot of stuff that's that's improv. I would say that for me, uh, I, I think I provide a little bit more structure than that because a lot of times, like, I, I have an idea of what I want to run, you know? And usually it's like a vibe. Like, here's the thing that I want to get across, you know? Um, here's, like, uh, when I was getting ready to do the Iron Coast game, my idea was... Um, you know, here's, I want to do Adventure Conqueror King. I want to take advantage of the Adventure Conqueror King stuff. So I want you guys to, you know, uh, you know, feel like you can raise an army and lead an army against other dudes. Um, here's a goal. You know, you want to be the, you know, everybody wants to be the king of this area. You know, you want to, you want to rule it because awesome stuff will happen. You know, you will, you know, there's fantastic riches and blah, blah, blah. And take it more Conan than, you know, Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. And that's kind of what I want to do, you know. And I got people to sign on to that. So a lot of times I find, for me, where I like to start is, uh, you know, rather than, like, wait for the players to tell me what they're looking for, is, like, this is what I'm looking for. What are you guys looking for inside of that, you know? Uh, and then, uh, like, I'll provide just a just kind of a, you know, I'll, I'll give them the object and let them paint it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the that's the, the direction that I like to, that I like to give. Um as far as Pete's central question of like how much do you have to do before uh, the campaign set or before the campaign gets rolling, um, the big benefit of of that style that you know Raphael and I are talking about is that there's very little. You know, it's uh, uh, next to none. I mean, Raphael sense it's next to it's pretty much just you're there with the players and you build it with the players. With mine, it's a little bit more um, like here's the idea I've had run around in this you know so that's all that's all i need you know that and maybe like if i had an adventure idea you know that i wanted them to you know or that i thought might be fun for them i'm not gonna say wanted them to get started on but um might have that but that's all i have don i think you're a little more structured in this you want to talk about that so both of you guys just described like kind of like a smallish scene like more of a campaign building right yeah bottom up world yes building i definitely then. do bottom up yeah. yeah do you guys have like a world in mind when you start these campaigns or is it just whatever kind of spins out of play 
you know, spins out of when you're actually in play? For me, a lot of it comes out of the mouths of the players. I mean, if I really am uh, in the heat of the moment when we're playing and the character enters a dungeon, there are times when I will literally say, what are we looking at? And I will ask one of them to describe something. And then I will elaborate on that. And I will treat it as though I had rolled a result on a random table because it might as well have been. Right. For, mechanically speaking, it's the exact same thing. I, th- I see a giant crystal pyramid. Okay, and I think to myself, is that gelatinous, like a gelatinous cube? Is it the lair of a dragon? Is it the temple of the cult? It could be anything. And I, I take and interpret what I'm told by the players. But I, I seldom walk in with a great deal of, of predetermined content. What I do tend to use a lot of is quick generators. For example, if there is an enemy, a monster... I'll roll two eight-sided dice, and I'll multiply them to get the monster's hit points. And then I'll take the higher one, and I'll add ten to it to get its armor class. Right? And then the lower number, plus, uh, you know, 1d6, is the amount of damage the monster does each time it attacks. Etc., etc. Right? I have all these little tricks that I use to randomly create something, and then I'll roll 2d6, and I have a little table over here It has a bunch of results that tell me whether it... Uh, spits acid or has a paralyzing bite or what have you. This enables me to create something really quickly on the fly and not have to worry too much about flipping through books to find what some other person has already written down for me. Yeah. Now, when I'm using somebody else's adventure, which I do, right, there's a great deal of fun to be had in whipping out someone else's adventure and forcing myself as a DM to work with the material that I'm given. It's totally different. But when, when I'm actually DMing something myself, I, I love seat of the pants style. Um, I'm trying to go back to what the question was because uh, right. I'm I'm getting a little lost from that. And I think the, what was the question, Don? Was it? Uh... You're probably lost because Raphael was just like, yeah, bam. I know. Like, and, like here's every and, like, fact that matters. Yeah, my mind just blew up, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, do we have a podcast or are we just let's just talk to Raphael and see what he has to say? Yeah, and let's, let's um, just what do what <laughs> what was the question? Something about bottom-up. Okay, so uh, one of the things I think I probably do a little bit different from Raphael is that when you talk to old-school dudes, right? I mean, like, real old-school dudes who've been doing this since the 70s, you you get a lot of folks who are like, oh, I've been working on this campaign world for 40 years, and I think that's nuts. Like, I don't understand that. That does not make sense to me. That having been said, every single game I've been running for the last probably, like, three years has all taken place in the same campaign world. Uh, and it's, it's, it's because of a bit of shorthand that makes sense to me, uh, in that if I've created a thing that for one game, I might as well use it for another game too, you know, uh, and that if, uh, and it's, it, while I, I'm totally down with a lot of the stuff that Raphael's saying about coming up with stuff on the fly, because realistically that's how I come up with most monster stats is just like, okay, what well, makes sense for this thing? It's, you know, okay, well... It's going to be like this. Sure, why not? You know, this is a giant, you know, monster that should do a lot of damage and, you know, they shouldn't be able to hit it too much. Okay, then I know what to do stats-wise because I run, you know, so many different games too that, you know, uh, you got to think differently for DCC than you do for Axe, but only slightly, you know, and then differently from that for Delving Deeper. But again, only slightly. Um, that... To me, I've been putting it all in the same same campaign world because I create, or the not just me, but I mean the players as well create so much cool stuff that I don't want to let any of it go. You know, 
I'm a little bit more of a like a campaign element collector in that regard. Uh, it's not that I don't trust them trust them to come up with cool stuff next week too, but uh, um, I've been trying to keep things going for longer and longer in the, um, in the games I've been running. And so, like Metal Gods has been running for three years now, nearly. Uh, Iron Coast has been running for just about as long. Uh, <laughs> the Hyper Barbaria game is, I guess, Iron Coast is only about two years. But you know, like you know, games have been running for quite some time, uh, and I just I I like continuing to use that stuff that you know, like Raphael made a change to the Metal Gods verse, and that's stuck. You know. Um, mm. uh, when Raphael, when you were playing with us and you had the Grand Vizier like spell burn his face and hands off, that's still that's that still happened. That character is still in the world, still like a player and a mover and shaker because I like the decisions that a player made, and uh, because of that, I let things continue on. You know, I I like that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it also helps that I'm the only person running it. I mean, Edgar's running the uh, Metal Gods as well, but uh, with a lot of the 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 other games, I'm the only one doing it, so I can take from, you know, uh, the Metal Gods game and throw something in the Iron Coast or throw something in Hyper Barbaria and it all works out um, because they don't know about the other part or they haven't been following <laughs> the exploits of the other group because why would they? So, uh, that works out really well. Yeah, I think, uh, Raphael, you are very lucky to have those players that can whip that out like that because i think it takes a special group sometimes like i've tried that with my own guys and they just haven't been able to bring anything i'm like oh what is this I, you know i don't i don't live in this town you guys live here what does it look like what's over here you know, i i think though that in a lot of cases don that involved I, I again i stole half of your players and i don't have that problem with those guys you know like i've got those guys no making it wasn't stuff up those guys me. oh okay yeah, different no. guys all right got it no, you actually stole the you actually stole the creative guys. I did because they're awesome and uh, they're yeah, coming up with yeah. shit all the time for me. So yeah, good. Well, enjoy. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I definitely feel like it's uh, it's something to, to nurture and cultivate. Odd as that sounds, and you, the GM, to get people in the frame of mind where they expect opportunities for the player to be the architect of the world too, because. In, uh, you know, the, a lot of these cats that I'm gaming with are gaming for the first time in their 30s, right? These guys that, that, that are in my group, in fact, for almost every single one of them, there's six of us, for almost every single one of them, I'm the first GM and only GM they've ever had. So nice. they didn't come in with preconceived notions about the player's role versus the dungeon master's role. And these are video game enthusiasts who said, yeah, you know, I played a lot of video games. I get strength, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, because those are stats you see in a whole lot of RPGs, right? I get the concept of D&D, but I've never played the game with the dice and the maps, and I want to. And that's, you know, how they wound up getting me to run some games ages ago as a DM. Therefore, they didn't have ideas about what the player's job was. All they knew is in a video game, you often have the opportunity to make huge, impactful decisions. Like, for example... Morrowind or Oblivion or Skyrim to a lesser extent. Skyrim and Oblivion aren't as big as Morrowind was. But you still have the opportunity to create these huge impacts by the decisions that you make as a player character. Right? You have some degree of authority over the world. And so in their minds, it's totally normal that I'd be like, all right, well, what kind of castle is it? And some guy's like, oh, hold up, hold up. It's not a castle made out of stone. It's organic. It's a giant tree that somebody's carved. You know, and like in his mind, this is totally legitimate. Why not? 
and there's nobody to tell them no because everybody in the group is like, fuck yeah, all right, let's do it. I think part of it is is creating that culture by specifically warning people in advance. The expectation is that the DM doesn't do all the lifting. The DM just makes it possible for the player to have those moments where you're either going to get your ass kicked or roll the dice and, and win. You know, that's, that's... I don't know. I don't really have a philosophy. I, I was about to articulate something really deep, and then I realized, shit, I'm not qualified. <laughs> I don't know anything. Well, and then, like, know. keeping it the same way all the time is, you know, to me, just, just is selling yourself and your players short. If you're going to go, uh, approach every campaign, even even if it's just like, this time I'm giving, you know, like, even if it's just like, uh, I'm going to ask the players all of the questions, you know, like, like you're doing, um, you know, every time, then to a degree... I don't know. I like to mix things up. I don't like to do things the same way every time. Like when I started, I started hyper barbarian, my, my riff on B1, uh, very differently than I started my iron coast game, which was very differently from how I started the metal gods game, which is very differently how I started the game before that. Uh, because I don't want to keep things the same for myself. I mean, I kind of feel che- like I'm cheating myself if I do that. In addition, like, you know, if I'm not coming up with new ways of writing a campaign or, you know, like coming up with these ideas from my end, then uh, I, I just don't feel like I'm doing them, uh, you know, justice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> and that might even help with, uh, you know, with GM burnout, you know, because you're always changing it. You, you know, I, run into I, a few different systems. I will say that, that that a lot of what I do is to prevent GM burnout because I've experienced it so hard before. Uh, yeah. You know, there were there were additions that burned me like mad. Uh, we don't we don't need to talk about them, but you know um, there's you know I mean like there was a like a, a lapse of many for me many years I guess it was only like two or three years between gaming and now gaming again you know uh, and a lot of that was because of GM burnout. Don, yeah, talk to us. What do you do? How do you get started in a campaign? Because I know you're you're a guy who like comes up with a lot of concepts and you get started with campaigns. Uh, they might not necessarily pan out. Yeah, and that's the problem. Uh, when you are putting so much thought into something and, you know, you want to do it right, and then you just get so... I don't even know, because you just stop. You get paralyzed. You're well, like, what man... Does, what does doing it right mean? I mean, like, right. like what, what, does that, what does that entail for you? I mean, clearly for Raphael, right. it means, you know, let's get the, let's get the players involved, you know, because that then they have an investment in what's going on and you know then they got to deal with the consequences of what they've what they've come up with um what 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 is doing it right i mean is there a doing it right no there isn't i mean it's it's each person has to find their own style um each each gm you know like i'm a guy that wants to sit there and you know create the gods oh and then i want to create the history of this land and that's even before like people have stepped in there to play and sometimes it's too much energy. You know, sometimes you should just freaking break out the dice and play. Well, what is that? Not... What do you feel like that adds? I mean, if you're starting, if you're like, if if you're starting a campaign by world building, um, right? What is that? What is how did what, what does that add? What does that add to your experience? For my experience, I think it adds a confidence because you can, you you know how to answer the questions like i know you and Raphael just seem to like roll off you're just like oh yeah it's like this and you know it's like that and with me i'm like i really want to know i think i'm too i'm too much 
want to make it into a novel, you know? I want it to be concrete, I want it to be huge, epic, and I should just lay off and... And, I mean, I'm talking about the old Don. The old Don. Okay. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Don says, I don't have time for all that, and I'll just play. <laughs> so, the the new Don this, has a point, but so does the old let me, Don. Let me yeah. tell you this anecdote. I was running a game session, and the characters uh, were chasing this MacGuffin. And we didn't know exactly what it was until one of the players finally answered the question. At some point, I said, all right... What is it? What is the artifact? And the guy said, it's the uh, Deus Calc. It's this uh, sacred tablet. Anything that writes on it will come true, but if you erase it, it'll be destroyed forever. And I said, so this is what you guys are after. Okay, fine. So we went looking for it. That's what the cultists were trying to find, and they were going to write the name of this dark god on the tablet Mm -hmm. and bring him to life, a Thulu-type entity. And uh, in the end, they find the tablet. One of the characters loses the tablet, Necromancer steals it, and writes that dude's name on the tablet. And is like, now I will destroy it. I will rewrite it. You know, I will change your identity. I will change your soul. You will be my slave. And I will do it. I will own you. You know. And they were like, fuck, kill him, kill him. And, you know, in the meantime, like, the, the weird, you know, this fucking drow necromancer, the, you know, archer or whatever, is on the parapet shooting arrows at a sphinx. And all this bullshit's going on. People throwing fireballs. It's an amazing brawl. It was perfect. It was a great ending to a long-running campaign. And at the very end, one of the guys, the priest, he's like, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm going to break it so this never happens again. Fuck these people. And he smashes the tablet. And I was like, did you break the tablet with your friend's name on it? And he's like, <laughs> oh, balls. And he... <laughs> and I told them, uh, this character no longer exists. This warrior is gone forever as though he never existed and none of you remember him. And the player char- uh, the player was just like, what the fuck? Wait, this is great. I love it. And so it was a perfect ending. And, of course, these characters had betrayed each other. One of them had literally stabbed the other guy in the back. It was a horrible ending. Everybody died and uh, was disgraced except for the one guy who was completely rewritten out of history forever. So we rolled up new characters and I said, all right, this is 20 years later. And as we're playing, I'm like, all right, what are we doing? You know, and the guys are like, uh, you know what I want to do? Oh, my guy's going on a quest. You know, we're going to try to find this thing. And son of a bitch, they find out somebody's trying to resurrect this dark god. And when they finally find out the name of the dark god, it's the player it's character the player. whose yeah. name got written. Because yeah. uh, I was like, mentally, I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, it'd be great. But I, it was a lot like watching a TV show or a film or reading a novel where suddenly you realize you think you know where the author's pushing you. You think you figured out where we're going, and you're a step ahead, or so you believe. And then sometimes you find out you were wrong. If it's a great show, you find out you're dead wrong. But in this case, <laughs> it was our show. Like these guys were throwing the the information at me, and it, and basically daring me to do something interesting with it. And so when they found out that essentially this this warrior is going to be resurrected as a dark god, it was hysterical and awesome. There's continuity, and that's something you can only do with people you've been gaming with for a long time. But also wouldn't have been as exciting if I had predetermined any of this. But it yeah, changed right. It changed the entire campaign setting. It changed the entire world that they inhabited. And you've got to roll with those changes. You've got to embrace those changes and let them happen. And yeah. like I, I, one of my <laughs> biggest pieces of advice to any DM out there, any capacity, is look for the opportunities your players are giving you. And make them deal with the consequences of the shit they do or don't do. Because they are doing it left and right every freaking session. There's something that they're doing that they're not doing that they kind of did half-heartedly or, you know, it was a 
you know, like they, they, they phoned it in. There's something you can do with decisions the players have made that's going to make whatever you're doing way more interesting. Yeah, I guess if we're talking on campaign level, yeah, I mean, you are taking so much of what you're going to do from what they say, and that's really awesome. I mean, you know, half half the time they come up with something more interesting than what you could have written down, mm-hmm. and the stuff that's related between them, and yeah, that's 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 just great stuff. Go ahead. No, no, you do. Oh, no, Raphael. I was going to say it's the emergent story that is really, like, that's what I really get off on when I'm DMing. Like, just the stuff that happens, fills in the cracks that they bring and that they tell me, you know. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, there was a time when I was originally getting into this back in the 80s when I really believed that it was a necessity to document so many things in advance. I felt that world building and campaign establishment. timekeeping records must be kept, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, even even the names of cities, the names of dungeons, the characters that were inhabiting these dungeons, whether they were other adventuring parties or trolls and orcs or necromancers or what have you, I believe that it was necessary to have a lot of this material written down before gameplay began, and it actually slowed me down. And the the thing is, I have written a number of adventures, but to be honest... Sometimes it is difficult for me to use pre, pre-written adventures that I've purchased because they require uh, familiarity, number one. They must be read and understood to a certain extent. Right? You have to familiarize yourself with the content. And number two, you have to be able to find the content you need at a specific time. And there are moments where you're flipping through a book. And I've, I've kind of reached the point where I don't want to write anything anymore that requires anybody to flip through a book. So as a, as a creator of content, and as somebody who uses content, I don't want to have to create um, the, the type of campaign setting or, or, uh, or adventure that requires that sort of approach. Everything should be random tables because that is what I myself need, and that's what I often get. Like, I'll often take something that somebody else has written and just highlight the parts that I like, type them up, print them out, and use that, just that one page, you know? I'll distill it to the parts that I find useful, and that's all I'll employ because I don't feel it's necessary to read through the end. Like, for example, The Forgotten Realms. Jesus Christ. Paragraph after paragraph. And I thought it was great when I first read it back in the uh, late 80s. I thought, this is amazing. There's so much material here as though that's a good thing. But the more that I, I, I game, the, the more I realized that it was actually slowing me down and that just you improvising know, I, I, was going to be much more effective. I'm going to admit yeah. that even back in the day, uh, because there was so much canon and stuff like, like the Forgotten Realms, uh, I looked at, um, if you go back to the original Forgotten Realms box set, uh, Sembia, right? The, the Kingdom of Sembia is like, Ed Greenwood straight up says, I'm not going to touch this shit so you can do whatever you want with it. So I was like, sweet, that's what I, where I'm doing stuff. And then, of course, 2nd Edition changed all that shit. But, um, you know, so I, it, I, I was, I mean, even, I think a lot of times we, you know, even back then, you knew, right? I mean, you knew that you were going to want to change stuff. At least I did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't speak yeah. for you. <laughs> I knew, but, like, like all along that I was going to want to, like, say, this is how things are because it's the way I thought about it, you know? But it's also worth noting that, at least where I was going to school, everybody who played D&D had the three books. Dungeon Master's mm-hmm. Guide, Player's Handbook, Monster Manual. And at the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide were 
dozens and dozens of lists and tables that would let you do whatever the hell you wanted in a dungeon forever. It had a random dungeon generator, random encounter tables, but it also had the uh, generator for random, uh, what, denizens of the abyss. Yep. So you could create these random demons... And everyone would be unique, which is my favorite kind, because that was it for some in some campaigns. Literally, that was all that I did. I just threw these guys uh, randomly generated monsters, and I was like, "Well, it's a tentacle thing with an insect face, and it flies, and it does one d ten damage." And that was great because they had no idea what they were up against. The troll, you're like, "All right, get the acid, get the fire." You know, we're just gonna <laughs> fight this troll. Right? Everybody knows what you do with the troll, right? Um, but something yeah. that you don't understand that you don't know. And and a situation that you can't predict because the DM doesn't know what he's doing either. Right? It's not predetermined. Yeah. It's completely random. The GM is as constrained by fate as the player. There's magic in that. There's magic in the improv style because the DM is also taking a risk that he might fall flat on his or her face and not be able to pull it off. So everybody's gambling at the same time. I would say, yeah, uh... Yeah, uh... I don't. I don't know that I'd run an entire campaign based on that stuff, but I mean, <laughs> uh, I. I mean, I, I, for the same reasons that you're quoting, that's the stuff. That's the reason that I, you know, the first edition DMG is, in my mind, the finest piece of you know RPG material that's ever been published, uh, because it's got all of that, you know, uh, and, and it can be whatever you need it to be whenever you need it. Um, clearly, there's a lot of press about the the current fifth edition DMG being similar. I don't know about all that, but it's 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 good. Um, I would say uh, that kind of to answer Pete's question of how much do you need to start a campaign? For me, uh, I need enough to get me through that first session. You know, once I've got that first session under my belt, you know, we've got the characters, we've got the or we got the players, we got the characters. We know what kind of shit they're interested in. We know what they're paying attention to. Then from there everything else can spiral outward from there. Yeah. Yeah. Don, what do you got? Yeah, you can sit there and you can make up, you know, gods of this realm and what language they speak here. And, you know, these people came over here 2,000 years ago and brought their own language. You can do all that. And that is great if that's how you want to do it. But if you... I mean, really, the ideal way to start is just, as you said, like you have a small town, the people know it, and they spread out from there. I mean, that's like... Uh, in in the back of the DCC book, you know, travel, it takes forever. People don't usually travel. I mean, that's, they shouldn't know anything about stuff that's happening too far, which brings me to this point. And I wanted to talk about this in this episode of world building, because I recently had a problem where I had an idea and I didn't want to explain it. I wanted them... You and I have talked about this. I don't know how much I want to talk about it. But how much do you take from... How much do you give the players? Like, you want to drop secrets. You want them to discover stuff during play. You know kind of the big secrets in your world. How much do you give them to keep them interested, to make them want to answer or even ask the questions? That's kind of, I, I feel like in a lot of ways that's kind of a loaded question, you know, um, in that a lot of ta- a lot of ways that, that, that involves your players, you know. Um, yeah. You, you, and I can't, I can't speak to uh, every player out there realistically. 
I am not a hide stuff behind a veil kind of guy. I don't, um, I don't make people roll to, you know, library use checks to see if they find a piece of information. You're looking for that piece of information. That's enough. You know, um, tip, sometimes I might ask, you know, for like, you know, okay, well, what's your skill in that thing to determine, you know, how likely it would have been, but, you know, and therefore like more like a proportional sort of thing. Like how this is as much as you've been able to figure out. I don't like to hide stuff, man. I like to give people things because otherwise, if there, if there's something that I've made that I want them to play with, if I am then hiding it, I don't understand why, uh, how I can expect anybody to play with it. You know? Yeah, I can dig that. I used to play a lot of Call of Thulu, mm-hmm. but I, I did have a bit of difficulty with the current gaming group on a few occasions we played that, and that just sort of changed my perspective, and. I wound up thinking of the, the the tale of the blind man and the elephant, where every blind man touches a different part of the elephant. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah. Both, yeah, you know. yeah. And so what I was thinking was that every time the investigators did anything, they would get a piece of that data. They would get a piece of that story. They would get a, a, a little bit of the elephant, so to speak, mm-hmm. which would enable them to move a little bit closer to understanding, but each time they would still be pretty far off. Right. So, for example, they would understand, uh, oh, hell, I don't know, Young Sothoth uh, has a plan that requires uh, the alignment of, of stars, so there's a specific date. So they would get the date, but they wouldn't understand why the date was significant. They would get a rune, they would get a symbol, but they wouldn't understand why that was important. They would get an identity, the name of a person, but they wouldn't know whether that person was friend, foe, cultist, potential sacrifice, archaeologists who stumbled across something, but it was always a piece of data that required nothing but their activity. Everything they did gave them a piece of data and a potential to get their asses blown off by you know, 1920s bootleggers or cult members with shotguns or whatever. Right. So it was perpetually giving them little bits of trivia that eventually would be assembled into a puzzle. Um, but the idea that you could ever fail at gathering information didn't work. Right, because it was a dead end. It's a way to shut things down. The risk isn't that you won't get the information. Of course, the risk is that you'll get the information, fail your sand check, or right. get shit kicked out of you. Right, yeah. carried off to the stars by Amigo, haul your ass to Pluto. So that was that was my approach, and that works for the gaming group I have. But you know, so much of what I'm telling you tonight is just directly applicable to the the, the group of people I'm with, and the few people that I'm getting right. with via hangouts and at con games. I mean, I don't. I don't know necessarily if it would translate to somebody else's group. I think a lot of it yeah. does, though, because I think there's a, there's certain like truisms you can get to about you know uh, about the way that you know campaigns and rules interact. I mean, that's the whole reason I think that Trail of Cthulhu exists is uh, you know one failed spot hidden check and your whole investigation is like is is just blown right. One failed library use and you miss that important piece of the puzzle. And so I guess I. I I like to have things, uh, instead of focusing on, like, well, these are your characters, these are your stats, and, you know, this is the, you make some rolls, and that's what you find out about the universe, I'd rather just, I'd, I'd rather encourage players to ask me questions about things that they don't know about, um, and, and just give them the information so that they're, you know, next time around, they they ask another question, another incisive question that gets them thinking about things. It gets kind of tells me what to write because you know they want to know that particular thing. We hit upon this actually uh, in my axe game on Sunday. We realized that there's an awful lot of basilisks, medusas, and cockroaches around in the area, right? 
and uh, uh, they faced three basilisks, all of which were random encounters. They faced, <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of medusas, which were again random encounters, and then <laughs> cockroaches. All of this random encounter shit, but it created a big question in the players' minds: What's up with all this shit that's turning people to stone? You know. Right. That's an awesome question. So now, yeah. you know, they're like they're seriously starting to investigate what's turning everybody to stone and as a like a you know, kind of a lead-in thing I gave them, "Oh, well, there's a petrified forest over there. Shit, we got to go explore that." You know, they've been there before, you know, uh that's where they fought the, fought the Medusas and one of the two three basilisks. So now it's like this is a thing that we must know about, which is great. And again, it's you know, it's it's uh kind of like this uh emergent storytelling device that's come up you know through some random roles it's come through like me reinforcing them like wanting to investigate this by giving them little you know little answers along the way um i don't remember where i got this idea but they started asking about the cockroaches that were you know in the hills you know and um i don't remember who gave me this idea but the idea was that cockroaches are actually chickens that have been affected with this virus that turns them into cockroaches you know, and so now they, you know, that's why they, they peck things and turn them into, you know, into stone is the virus thing that's going on. Um, so that got them asking, me giving them that answer got them asking more and more questions about all this other shit that's happening. And uh, that in turn has turned into a much more interesting campaign. So I guess that's the, you know, roll with, roll with those questions, you know? Yeah. 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 What you're describing, though, brings to mind... People who read tea leaves or palms or terrible. <laughs> in the sense that part of your obligation as a DM is to take these random bits of data, whether they are pieces of a pre-written module that you've purchased or right. results from a random table or questions that have been answered by your players, and like the auspects of old that would gut the bird and look at the entrails and then say, this is what the gods want me to tell you. You... Yeah interpret this data and confirm the suspicions of the players or thwart them somehow by subverting those suspicions and luring them down the path. But that's just as good because, after all, that is also a fucked-up situation, which is what they want. The one thing they don't want is an absence of a situation. They want a fight. They want the treasure. They want to be stabbed in the back because that just gives them more people to kill. And so they level <laughs> up because they take the money after they've killed the person. Right. So, uh, I, you know, part of the part of the job is figuring out what is the best way to turn this into a bad situation for the players. Yeah, I'd say that's like that's that's the best part of every <laughs> every DM's job is how can I screw my players over with that thing they just asked me about? Yes. Uh, you know, um, I hate to put this on breaks for just a moment, guys, but we did get a couple of questions from viewers, and so oh. I'd like to uh, I'd like to address those. Um, the first one is how do you go about dividing your campaign, dividing up your campaign into chunks? Really, not sure that I understand what that means. Um, maybe camp does that mean like story arcs like or story arcs? I yeah, think. yeah, that's what that's what makes sense to me. Um, yeah. Do you do you pre-plan any story arcs, or does everything just come naturally to you, or like as a as a result of of player choices? I let the uh, the players decide a lot lately. I really yeah. do. So as a consequence, we don't really divide anything up into chunks at all. It mainly um, 
is just a result of what they want to do versus how much they're able to get done in a given session. And we sort of play until we hit the, the inevitable. See, here, here's the thing about the group is that it's uh, there's a lot of, of backstabbing. They don't <laughs> like each other very much at all. They're characters, they Okay. As, as friends, it's great, but as players, they generally wind up fucking each other at some point, and it all descends into an absolute bloodbath, and more often than not, half the group is dead from their own hand. They don't uh-huh. fight to the death to protect each other, uh-huh. but then you, you then they actually murder each other in character. And, Nobody and gets to murder we, that dude but me. I get it, yeah. And then we wind up re-rolling and start over from scratch. So, but right. on the occasion that I've played repeated campaigns on hangout sessions with people that I don't know very well, I do tend to envision discrete milestones. And a lot of times it's simply arrive at destination because, especially with OSR games, there's so many things that can go wrong just on the road to getting to the place. And then the second, the second adventure session is usually something like explore destination or once you've reached the NPC get to grips with that NPC and what they want, figure out what's going on, perform a task for them, or figure out what you're supposed to do to them or for them or with them. And then third and final iteration of that particular little arc is deal with the consequences of that. Either helping them causes you problems or killing them causes you problems or going to the place and adventuring causes you to fight a boss of some kind. And that sort of wraps up that little segment, whether we're playing an old school game or phase rip, you know, because it's exactly the same, right? Yeah. Go meet this guy who says he's being blackmailed by the kingpin, right? And then only to discover he's actually working for Doom. This is a trap. And then you deal with that, and then you find out his henchmen are working for AIM, and there's a double cross involved, and then finally you kill Modoc. Done. That principle applies, right? Yeah. So I, I, tend to, I tend to block it out into groups of three or four just because it's a nice round approach, and it's usually that's about two months given as often as we game, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah, you know, I'm largely with you on that. You know, um, I don't, I wouldn't say that I plan a lot of, you know, campaign arcs or anything like that. Uh, I would say that for me, a lot of things are more like what the players decide to pick up on and then figuring out what it's going to actually take to get them where they want to go, you know? Um, And then sometimes that does, like you say, involve like, okay, well, we got the first leg is like, is going on the journey to get there, you know, then we got to, you know, hang out in the dungeon and find the thing and kill the guy and ride the dragon and, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Resurrect the dead god because that's that's what happens, right? Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that the question of how do you divide your campaign up into chunks, um, for me, uh, is, is more like just diegetically, you know? <laughs> Use what your players give you and find where they want to go and, and, you know, see where along, how you get, like Raphael was saying, how you get from point A to point B and how you can make it hard for them, you know? Yeah. Don, anything you'd like to add? I would say that as much as possible, you probably don't want to divide it into chunks. You want their, you know, you want it to flow. Yeah. Um, you don't You don't want like, oh, well, you did this and now we're sitting here in town waiting for the next thing to happen. Yeah, so you guys, you guys are touching on that. You just want to... Kind of keep it flowing. I'm using my hands on a podcast. I know, me too. I do that, yeah. Yeah. Flashing gang signs, Uh, yo. (sighs) Was Uh, there another question? There is another question. And, oh, that first question was from Clayton Williams. 
Um, right. And the second question is from his lovely wife, Laura Williams. And she asks, uh, how do you keep player-created canon from becoming cumbersome in a continuous campaign? How do you know what is important to keep track of? First off, I just want to say that cumbersome doesn't enter into it. A player came up with it, therefore it's kind of important, you know? Um, there's, like, tiny little details that sometimes, you know, you can... Gl- I mean, it just makes sense. A player tells you a tiny thing, it's probably not as important as a, as the big thing, the big detail that they make up. Um, yeah. And it, if it was important to a player to tell me that thing, then it's probably going to be important for me to bring it back up again later, you know? Good. My rule yeah. of thumb is if I can't remember it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's, I, and that <laughs> no, sounds that's, that's a great. It sounds flippant, no. but it's a hundred percent true. If right. I can't remember it next week, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and the odds are, I guarantee you, if I can't remember it, they won't either, because we will have those moments <laughs> where I'm like, ah, what was the name of that that uh, uh, you know, like a, like a, there was a guy in this mountain, and they're like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't remember, and I'm like, well, fuck it then, and we just ignore it. And I don't keep very good notes. Right. And I realize this is all terrible, right? Because I am always envious of yeah. people who maintain meticulous notes and have pages that they've kept from the 1980s. And I think, Jesus, I don't have receipts from the gas station from last week. My wife is like, well, where's the receipt? I know you filled up the tank. I don't know. I don't fucking know. I don't have, I don't have fucking player records from the 1980s. My God, that's amazing. How do you do that? I don't have... Family members from that time period. I've, I've buried people. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really worry too much about well, canon at all under any circumstances, unfortunately. I will tell you, I, I do actually keep pretty good yeah. player records. Um, actually, the the notebook that I'm... Or the notebook, the note, the whatever this is, clipboard that I'm taking notes on now. I mean, I've got like months worth of notes. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I came up with a nice mm. sheet that makes sense to me out of details that I want to know. And basically, mm. um, I found an awesome worksheet by, uh, uh, I think his name is Brendan Strayek, uh, ne- the Necropraxis guy. Great blog, by the way, if you're not reading it. Really cool stuff on there. Always good for um, cool ideas. Uh, he's got... Uh, Oh, I can't remember the name of it. He's got a really simple dungeon system that he's come that he's come up with for like making like your random encounter, like monster encounter role make sense. Like every facet actually has a thing that hmm. happens. So you know, it's not just like one or two things happen. It's like one or two. This particular kind of thing happens. Three, something else. Four, five, six. You know, everything everything means something, which is cool. But he also came up with this really cool like session tracking sheet that I kind of made my own version of, and um, his is is beautiful. I use that all of the time, and you know I've got weird ass notes scrawled here um, that I'm trying to find a good example of a note that uh, would be worth paying attention to for anybody at home uh, <laughs> that's not doing so well, not doing so good at this. Um, but, you know, like, character names, you know, uh, NPC names, all that stuff. So I keep that, that shit straight, you know, because I am really bad at it. I am really, really bad at keeping that stuff straight. Oh, basically every spell I've ever cast, I cast on a pig first, was a quote from a DCC session. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, 
important facts to me, important facts that my players said, then I'm going to write those down. I'm going to put those in here and maybe NPC names and maybe places they went and, you know, things of that nature. I just, I have a, I printed like tons of these things. And on one side is the, is the session tracking sheet. And on the other side is time tracking because some games that's important to me, um, like in the iron, the ax game that I run, that's, you know, keeping track of time is much more important than in DCC. Um, DCC is kind of like, you know, whatever, fuck it, take take what you got, you know, mm. and run with it. But uh, in um, in the Axe game, it's much more like, okay, we're going to go through the procedures, we're going to follow the rules, every ter- every so many turns you got to roll a random monster check, you know, stuff like that. And this gives me all the stuff I need to come back with the consequences. And most of the stuff I can remember but a lot of stuff I can't like remember the exact names, and I know Raphael, you just said that's not important to you. To me, I I I thrive on getting that little jab where I remembered. You know, they might have forgotten, but I remembered. You know, they uh, they and, and they've been, and to for the largest part, I can say that my players tend to seem to enjoy the fact that I do know what that dude's name is because I wrote it down. Because you wrote it down. Because I wrote it down. I write down a lot, and then I file it in this junky corner of my basement and I never see it again. So if they want if, if they want me to remember something, they have to remind me because I have good intentions and then it just never happens. I just I find I write down a lot of the stuff that entertains me, you know? If a player does yeah. a thing that I liked, like I'm just going on an index card, it's going on a sheet, it's going on something, you know, because I want to remember it. Maybe not for, you know, the next session I play with that person. Maybe for the next session I play with Raphael or Don, you know? Like, let's, here's a cool thing that happens maybe sometimes, you know? Um, why not? Uh, the person who asked that question, Laura, for example, um, she... And I'll, I'll put the question up there. I don't know if you guys have the Q&A app up. But uh, she... Um, I don't know how much I want to get into this. All right. So um, in the session that I ran with her, uh, that was the Friday Night of Marmalade Dog. I had this this um, story seed that I had come up with uh, based on just flipping through random pages of different books. And I ended up mashing up a little bit of Italo Calvino with a little bit of you know William S. Burroughs and ended up with this crazy idea about rat men stealing telepathic sex drugs um which initially was i mean it's all part of an awful terrorist plot i will always remember the fact that laura's dwarf who got infected with this telepathic sex drug stuff which was also contagious so she's projecting her sex thoughts on everybody else that she got off on all the meat that she was carrying and rubbed it all over herself. And, you know, that's the that's the awful, you know, sexual fantasy that got transmitted out to the, the, the people in the street. I will always remember that because that was that was memorable, you know? So that's the kind of thing that it's it's not noise. That's all signal to me, you know? That's 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 a campaign element that's always gonna be there in my brain. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, Laura. I didn't mean to tell everybody in the world about your uh, meat dwarf. The meat dwarf. Meat dwarf. Well, she actually signed that as meat dwarf from here from Marmalade Dog, so I had to kind (laughs) of. So, um, in general, Pete, I think it seems like the idea that those of us here at Drink Spin Run are trying to tell you is enjoy yourself. (laughs) Uh, Make what seems natural. Don't look too far ahead. Raphael, anything you want to add there as a conclusion, bringing it well, all back no home? there's no wrong way to do it. I mean, I, I, I do what works for me. I know other people are going to do the same. They're going to do what works for them. Um, if it fits your group, and the tricky part is the only constant is work at figuring out 
what your group dynamic is. And if your group is constantly changing, of course, then it's a constant effort to figure out what works for your team, what makes your people happy. And I would say if you're, and if your group is constantly changing, know what works for you specifically, you, you know, as the DM, because I mean, that's, that's the one constant that will always be there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if we're, if we're, are we, are we confident that we've come to a conclusion here? Can't think of anything else to add. (laughs) All right. So I will go ahead. Um, we're going to move this over. It's been a little while since we've had a third rail of gaming. And so, uh, this is one that I, I come up, I came up with a while ago and I've been kind of holding out on and Don thought I was going to use this earlier when I didn't. Um, let's, let's talk real quickly just to shift gears entirely. All right. Thieves and thief skills, right? Does the presence of a thief and the skills that he brings to old school gaming, is that a self justifying thing or is there a niche there that needs to be filled? Elaborate. Um, so there's a thought that if that before there were thieves in gaming, before the supplement one Greyhawk came out, pretty much everybody, every adventurer was a thief. And all that stuff that thieves get roles to do, anybody could have done, you know, even you know, despite ha- not having a skill to do those things. You could have searched for traps, you know, you could have um, you know, hidden yourself, moved silently by saying, Hey, I move silently. Does the existence in the rules of something like, you know, move, a move silently skill or a backstab skill or a find traps, remove traps skill, does that, as a, as a skill system, necessitate a, uh, crap, I, I totally went off in a different direction. This is, <laughs> does the presence of a thief in the rules, uh, is it self-justifying in that, in that manner? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It is self-justifying, or is as is it is it not matter? Uh, it makes sense what you're saying. Now, as to whether it's self-justifying, uh, I don't know. But it it seems that the game would be incomplete without somebody who's really good at avoiding the uh, the traps. I mean, it, you have a game with combat, mm-hmm. so you have somebody who's really good at combat. You have a game with healing somebody who's really good at providing that sort of support to the rest of the team. So it seems to me that uh, uh, so it seems to me that it's only natural that you're going to have somebody who's going to be focused on that particular aspect of the game, whatever it might be, whether it's casting spells or combat or avoiding traps. Okay. Second, it seems that the character archetype mm-hmm. has its origins in the lore, whether it's uh, Tolkien's Hobbit or Fawford and Grey Mouser. It seems that the character is justified not just by the mechanics, but also by the culture itself, the, the style. Of the source material. Yeah. That's my gut feeling. Don, what about you? The last thing you just said really resonated with me. It's like, it is, it's in the stories that we've all read. It's in the stories that they read. The uh, they. creators. They. The they. You know, capital T. There's a they. There's a they. Um, It's so, yeah, for me, like, I wouldn't even consider that a question. Like, it's so ingrained. There's even, you know, even before the racist thing, it's like, yes, you have 
of course, there's a thief, there's a fighter, there's a cleric, there's a... See, but there's not a thief. When you go back to, like, the dawn of, like, if you go back to the OD&D white box, there's no thief yeah. in there, you know? Just not yeah, there. That's, and that's why I wouldn't play it. Oh, see, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, and it, <laughs> I, this, here's the thing, is I'm not going to say that... It, it, there's been a lot of discussion in this in the uh, on this on the OSR community over the years. Um, you'll find like James Melizhevsky po- posted an opinion on it. You know, like everybody has had an idea on this over the years. I would say that from my point of view, I'm much more interested in how people how players are communicating with me about what their characters are doing in an environment, whether that's a dungeon environment, city environment. You know, like pitched battle. You know, just hanging out with their pals, whatever. I'm much more interested in the dialogue that they're, or the the, the the narrative that they're telling me, than you know the narrative that the rules are telling me. So, um, the thought that, um, and I, I'm not really actually going to weigh in one way or the other on this because I can see both sides. You know, I, I I dig there being a thief. I'm okay with there not being a thief in some regards because there's nothing stopping a fighter from thieving. You know, right? Um, yeah. And and it, it depends on how you see. I think in some ways it depends on how you see the gray Mauser. Do you see the gray Mauser as a thief? Do you see the gray Mauser as someone who fights a lot? You know, and he kind of does both. So I, I that's a hair I can split both ways. And let's not even talk about how I think he was originally a, uh, an apprentice to a wizard, right? You know, right. so that's you know right. casting spells or reading scrolls yeah. after a certain level, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have one in your party as a DM or as a player, like, you get around it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I don't care. I don't care about this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Not as divisive as I had hoped. Okay, sorry. I was actually kind of, you know, because this is something that I know some people do have some serious uh, opinions yeah. on. And we are obviously not them. So uh, oh, yeah. we hope that we did some kind of service to that. Um <laughs> Or not, or disservice. Who cares? Um, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Raphael, for being here. It's been a pleasure again, as always, to talk to you. And yeah, this has been really cool. I mean, I didn't even say that I'm a fan because that's weird. It is weird to tell somebody you're hanging out with that they're, you're a fan of their stuff. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the beauty of this scene for me. Yeah, is that there are so many people of whom I could say with a straight face, if I met them at Gen Con, I'm a fan of your work. Yeah, and the beauty is, unlike the old days where I never had a chance in hell of ever meeting any of these people who create all these things that I love, now I'm living in a time where if I do go to Gen Con or Gary Con or any number of gaming events, I'm going to meet somebody and I'm going to be able to say, in all honesty, "Fuck, I'm so glad I'm meeting you. You have no idea how much." I have enjoyed your work, you know? It is, it yeah. is, and it's not just the gaming stuff, too. I mean, I live in an age when I actually know people who create music online. I've interacted with them, you know? And I'm yeah. not talking about, you know, big shots, but real people. Yeah. yeah. Humans, you know? It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to, to live in this culture now, where, where so much of it has been rendered DIY. Right? I guess that's an honor of Mike who could make it tonight, because he's got that as his... Uh, yeah, yeah. That is his avatar, right? The word, the letters DIY, which I, I think is beautiful. Yeah. Well, anyhow, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I had a blast tonight. I had too much to drink. <laughs> I think I did too. That's uh, all of the points that I missed, or uh, you know, the, the conversations I lost track of, kind of tell me that I had probably a few too many of these. 
German yeah, style yeah. Hellas loggers. Anyway, um, thanks a lot, Raphael. You're welcome back anytime. Um, yeah. And if you ever feel the need to run view screen for us, I'm just gonna stick this out there. We'd love to have you do that. No, this, no, no, don't don't say anything now. <laughs> think about it. Think, think about, about it. it. Uh, <laughs> hell we'll, yeah. Uh, hell yeah. That's all I'm saying. Hell yes, man. All right. So be a lot of fun. All right, yeah. so now we got April taken care of too. This is good. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we got March taken care of. I got somebody to agree to do March for us too. So uh, we're trying to rack, rack up some. I mean, not like rack up some uh, some actual plays, but actually get a chance to play some of the shit that we talk about. We're like, fuck, I want to play that thing, you know. So we find people who know about that thing and make them play it for with us. Yeah, make them run it. That's gross. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We played Fate last week, right? Okay, uh, we did, and um, Don, we need to talk about fate. You and me and Edgar need to talk about fate, because, right. uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway, that's going to come out soon from Drink, Spin, Run, is uh, right. our actual play of fate with yeah. Nathan Panky, yeah. and it was a blast. That guy's yeah. crazy, uh, yeah. and he's a lot of fun. Uh, but thanks a lot, everybody, tonight. Um, oh, yeah. Raphael, thanks again. Yeah. Gorgeous listeners, thank you for being here with us, uh, the folks at home. <laughs> the viewers at home, thank you for being with us, sending us <laughs> questions for the first time. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Everybody, have a wonderful evening, and we will see you soon. Next time, I don't know who our guests are going to be. I'm still kind of working that out, but I think I think we got Stacey Delarfano next time. Wow. Yeah, she's she's pretty cool. That she's a really cool lady. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, you gents have a good evening, and we will uh, talk to you all soon. Thanks. Thanks.